Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Around the 412. We are part of the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I am Tyler, and with me as always is my co-host, Smitty. What's going on, man? Happy Monday to everybody. How are we feeling today? I hope everybody enjoyed the Super Bowl. Uh, I mean, you know, we're kind of letting you behind the scenes here. We are recording before <laughs> the Super Bowl happens. I wish we could tell you that we're very excited or very upset with how the Super Bowl went, but I got no idea how we're feeling. So I can't tell you the Penguins just played coming off a win. We're going to talk about that a little bit more later in the show. As always, as we do with every show, we're going to take a question from Twitter to start it off. When's the last time we talked about the Pirates on here? I, I honestly, honestly like, I probably I like the season when the season ended. I mean, I would say I don't even think we've talked about the Pirates really since we've we've been on DK that much. We, we, I think we talked about them a little bit in September, but it quickly went away yeah. whenever like hockey and Steelers picked up. So we, it's been a minute. And especially with the MLB in, being locked out, like, Hey, are we even allowed to talk about the pirates? No, I'm just kidding. This might be one There's of the whole only show. times we talk about the pirates all year. <laughs> There's a whole show on the network, the pirates fan forum. Shout out to those guys. I have no idea how they continue to do it uh, through a lockout, but we did get a question about the pirates. Um, one of the like concessions that we've seen here, actually something that the MLB and the player association are agreeing to through these talks is a universal DH. Um, something that we've kind of, known has been coming it's been a long time coming there's arguments on both sides for or against doesn't matter it is going to happen in the national league as well as it has been with the american league uh so how does this impact the pirates uh chris coburn comes to us from twitter and wants to know that how does a universal dh impact the pirates roster um i'll let you go first i have some thoughts on this but it's more so down the line than it really is like next season so i'll see where you can take it first um, I mean, for the Pirates in general, the the pitchers that I think that like to hit or could hit at least a little bit, most of them I feel like are off the roster at this point. So as it comes to Stephen the Pirates, <laughs> well, well, yeah, his his future with the Pirates is I I don't know I don't really know how much he has left, but but to, yeah, to be fair, he he can hit, and but I was thinking like even like Trevor Williams. I and like some other guys like they, they're kind of like off the team. So I, I don't know how much is going to impact the Pirates um, necessarily. But honestly, I'm just very open to it in general outside of just the Pirates. I mean, in the MLB, I, I don't know why you have two different leagues that have the same like different rules. I, I don't know why under the MLB you just have one 
unitary, like single role, whether it's you bat as a pitcher or you just have a DH. Like, I don't know why the American League and the National League have been so different for such a long time. And I, I mean, to me, I, I don't really care at this point. I always thought that maybe I'm of the mindset of, I like the traditional style of having the pitcher bat, even if it is just a free out for the other team most of the time, or it's just going to be a attempted sacrifice bunt. I I have always like liked the idea that everybody that is playing on the field is also the ones batting on the field. But I'm really at the point where I just don't care anymore, and I would just rather be uniform throughout the entire MLB than just one or the other. And so I, I think we we saw the DH what, two years ago when we had that shortened season and I, I was fine with it then. And I, I, we didn't know if we were going to, they were going to keep it necessarily into the last season. Um, they ended up not doing that, but I think that moving forward, they probably will because I mean, honestly, offense is what drives baseball. So getting another hitter in there, even if that's the yeah. only thing that they're doing is probably better for the game in general um, in terms of interest in the sport. I, I think that, offense and hitting is what people are attracted to at this point and so i know i haven't really talked about how it affects the pirates that much but i just think it's in baseball in general i think that going to a universal dh is probably the better thing for the sport not just for the like the fan interest but i i mean i i just think having a uniform thing is better in the long run that they're, they're not like switching back and forth and even in the world series you would switch back and forth and i i just think it's kind of unfair because I I always thought that like pitch or coaching in the National League is so much more difficult than it is in the American League because you don't have to worry about double switching and like who's up next in the lineup when it comes to bringing in different relief pitchers. It's a lot more uh, relaxed managing, I feel like, in the American League where you don't really have to worry about that. Your pitcher can just go out there and it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect the batting order. Meanwhile, in the National League, it always did. And so I, I just thought that was kind of unfair, even like at, at the World Series level. And I know that you play on both sides of it, but I just I think that once it is the same, no matter what, it'll be better for baseball. Yeah. So my whole thing, I understand like people saying, you know, they want to see pitchers hit. Like, why shouldn't they? They should be able to do everything just like the other eight guys. It's I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I just think it's a different argument than the one that I always try to make, because at some point in the minor leagues, pitchers aren't hitting. They stop them from hitting unless they're playing American League on American League in the minor triple A. Um, I don't know how you can expect pitchers, even though they would have hit throughout high school and college and everything like that, to then all of a sudden be able to pick a bat back up and well, face major, major league competition. You're seeing huh? it nowadays where, well, I'm saying maybe you they might hit in high school and college. You're seeing it nowadays where a lot of pitchers, they don't, if they're good enough, they're not even hitting in high school. They're only worried about pitching. And same thing with college. They're only worried about pitching. Yeah. Like I remember that that one, I, I think of the, the, clip from the kid from LSU who was a pitcher who was asked to hit and, or, or, and he was like did you hit in high school and he was like yeah and he was lying because he wanted to actually try to hit and so like some kids nowadays they aren't even hitting in high school and in college and how can they expect to be able to like go up through the systems of the MLB and then get to the National League and oh well you haven't hit in probably 10 years since you were like 14 but you have to hit now so figure it out. 
Yeah. I mean, well, regardless of when it is that they stop hitting, they stop hitting to focus always on pitching. And then all of a sudden, if you were in the National League, you're expected to pick a bat back up. And there's just, that's ridiculous to me. So that should not be a thing. Whether the argument you want to make is that they should be hitting the whole time through or what the MLB is going to do now with the universal DH, that's going to be the resolution. How it affects the Pirates. The first name that comes to mind for me is O'Neill Cruz. As much as I would like things to work out for him in the field somewhere because the arm's too good, it would be an anomaly. I'd love to see see him play defensively somewhere. I'd love to see him stick it short, to be honest with you. Um, but there's just going to be a log jam, you know, here very soon. Hopefully, we hope that these guys pan out. If all these prospects pan out, we're going to be talking about needing to find a spot in the lineup for the for O'Neill Cruz's bat specifically. Um, and whether it's, you know, Leo Verpuero taking over at short, Nick Gonzalez at second. And then where does that, you know, where do you put a guy like O'Neill Cruz? That bat needs to be in the lineup. So I think the DH opens that up. Or, you know, specifically short term here, maybe they can go out and actually find a guy that plays the first base position and let Yoshi be the DH because very small sample size, but defensively, he was not it at first base. So it, it opens up a lot of possibilities here. But for me, those are the two guys that come to mind, both short term for Yoshi, long term for O'Neill Cruz. Um, and that's under the assumption with a long term project there that these other prospects around him are, are panning out to even open the door for that because again it's only going to be the case if we have a log jam in the middle infield i wasn't even thinking about play like the positional players honestly whenever they thought about how does this affect the pirates i was only thinking about pitchers that wouldn't be hitting so i'm happy right. that you were able to think yeah about i mean <laughs> Yeah, and I, well, that that's honestly where my mind went right away. It's you know, right now when you look at the roster, it's like, man, I'll be honest. There's not like a guy that that's on the bench right now that I'm pounding the table like this guy's bat needs to be in the lineup. But down the line, when hopefully these prospects are are up here, um, and we're having these conversations, we have too many bats that we would like to see in the lineup, and now this opens up, you know, the door for one of them to be their bat at least to be in the lineup, not their glove, and. I know people have concerns about O'Neill Cruz being able to stick at short. What would happen at right field? What would happen at first base? That Just picturing that, I'm not able to do. It seems like it'd be very awkward for him at first base, but I don't know. Uh, but hey, I, I don't know. For me, the more position players that we're going to have the opportunity to hit, the better. I don't want to see pitchers trying to hit at the major league level after not doing it for, for so long. So I think that that's where we can leave the conversation off on this. And that's where we can also take a break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to briefly touch on TJ Watt finally winning his defensive player of the year and getting some Penguins talk. We'll be right back. This is around the 412 on the DJ Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Welcome back to Around the 412 on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. I'm Smitty. That is Tyler. A big congratulations to TJ Watt, finally winning Defensive Player of the Year. Seems like it's been three years in the making, uh, you know, ever since 2019, where he like really, really broke out in a big way and looked like the best defensive player in football. Uh, Stephon Gilmore wins it. Last year, Aaron Donald wins it over him. Finally, this year, TJ Watt is crowned, receives 42, I think is the, it was originally put out as 40, but there was only 48 votes within that number. So I believe it was actually 42 uh, votes, first place, and the Federal Defensive Player of the Year. I mean, it's even, and, and it's crazy because, you know, how much of the year was he banged up too? Like we didn't even really get a healthy TJ Watt much of the season and still the production was there. And you look around him and see, 
the the lack of talent, to be quite honest with you, on the defensive side of the football. You know, I know that there's like a big argument right now. Was he better in 19, 20 or 21? To me, 21 was his most impressive work just due to the injuries and also the lack of talent playing around him. Because other than Cam Hayward and Mika Fitzpatrick, that defense wasn't much to uh, much to write home about this year, to put it quite bluntly. Yeah, to really break out the way he did. I mean, I say break out in 21 whenever he's been this player the whole time. It's just it's, it, it, it is just another level, though, different. I think. I mean, yeah, it feels a little different. And being able to do what he did in realistically 14 and a half games. I know you could argue like whether how like people were saying, like, well, I'll put an asterisk on it. It's a 17 game season with his sack totals. But I mean, this, if you look at the actual games he played in, he missed two full games, and then he only played in half of – it was one of the early season games. I don't, was it Oakland maybe? I'm well, not he sure. Got, but he, Oakland? You mean Vegas? <laughs> or or Ve- Vegas, yeah. Vegas and, I mean, Minnesota, he missed t- – like, uh, there, he's been in and out of a lot of games this year, to be quite yeah, honest. So realistically, so, you could say yeah. he probably played between 14 and 15 <laughs> games this season, of a 17-game season. Um, but that's what makes it so impressive is that he was able to do that in that short amount of time. And like you said, the, the defense definitely did take a step back in terms of talent, especially on that front line. I mean, you didn't have stuff on to it up there. You didn't have Bud Dupree up there. And, and I feel like he had to really step up in a way that he had, hadn't really had to, even though he was so good in previous years uh, up on that front seven. And I just think that third time's the charm. He should have won it last year. He should have won it the year before that. I, I think you could make the argument that he should. This should have been his third in, third in a row. But finally, he did win it. And I love that he he tweeted a year ago uh, uh, the Michael Jordan meme. And I took that personally and then quote tweeted it this year with him winning the award. That's pretty great. Yeah, I do want to say real quick, I do want to give credit to especially the way that he finished the season. Alex Highsmith did come on in a big way, I thought, the last few weeks. Uh, and I am excited about his development, and I think he should continue to get better. But yeah, no Stefan Suet. They lost Tyson Alu-Alu in the home opener. Uh, Cam Hayward was great this year as well. Really nothing from the middle linebackers. Um, the secondary was decent, obviously, but that's not really helping him as a pass rusher, as a run stopper. So a lot of it was on TJ's shoulders this year, and he answered the bell. I want to ask you a question, though. It's obviously hindsight. This means absolutely nothing now, but I think it's an interesting question to pose. And I'm curious as to what the people in the comments will say, too. Does he still win defensive player of the year if the Steelers don't make the playoffs? Honestly, probably not. And that's the shame of football in general, I think. Or not not just even football. I think it's sports. If, if you, your team does not make the playoffs. I feel like it doesn't matter how good you were. That is just going to be held against you, even though that's really not your fault. And it's an individual award, but they're going to look at, okay, your team didn't make the playoffs. So how good have you actually been? Which I think is just unfair. If if TJ Watt would have done the exact same thing, except the Jaguars did not beat the Colts and the Steelers do not make the playoffs. I still think TJ Watt is defensive player of the year. Whether the voters hold that against them, that the Steelers are in the playoffs or not, that's yet to be seen. And then, like you said, hindsight's twenty twenty; it didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, but in my opinion, I don't think that he would have got it, and it probably would have went to like Aaron Donald or somebody, or Micah Parsons, or someone that actually made the playoffs, just because that's kind of the way that the sports world goes in terms of these awards and like the voting and everything. Like, if you don't make playoffs, that team it's going to be held against you. And I think it's very unjustly so. I, I don't really think for an individual award that that matters as much. 
but because yeah. he's one of 11 on that defense. I just think that that's would have been the case. It would be an anomaly just because the last one to do it was 2014. It was his brother that actually the, the Texans went nine and seven, missed the playoffs. But J.J. still won defensive player of the year. The reason that I mean, I've gone back and forth with it. I lean that he still would have just because of the discrepancy there in the voting. Like if it was close, I don't think that he would have. But going based off the, the voting numbers, uh, I think that he still would have. But yeah, I mean, we, we really don't know. So, hey, sh- once again, shout out to Trevor Lawrence and Daniel Carlson for getting the Steelers in the playoffs and, and kind of putting it to to rest uh making it a non-topic uh but really that's that's like the only thing to talk about with the Steelers finally TJ Watkins his defensive player of the year he says it only is going to motivate him more because he's still got to catch JJ now so he's got one he's on he's in the box store let's see how many he can get uh you he's mentioned he should have had get at, at least one more yeah you mentioned he should have had at least one already he should be tied right uh, now let's be real <laughs> yeah, I didn't have as much of an issue with 2020 as with 2019. I think he definitely should have won in 2019. And it goes back to, hey, Steelers Steeler sneaked in the playoffs. Does he win it over Gilmore? I don't know. Yet to, we'll never know that. But, Gilmore was also overrated that year. That's another thing. Just saying. Oh, boy. St- Steven Nelson let's see had it, a similar let's see if we can find, uh <laughs> Let's see if we can find some uh, Patriots fans and bring them in the comments of this episode. Let's switch gears a little bit, since that is really the only thing to talk about with the Steelers and talk about the Penguins. Uh, coming off another win against the New Jersey Devils. We're still waiting on 500 for Sid. Um, but I'll tell you what, like guys that really are, have been sticking out to me, I know, and it's it's very fitting because our very first episode that was on the network, we talked about Brian Boyle coming in on a PTO and not knowing whether he was going to make the team even, let alone what impact he would have with a healthy roster. Now, the Penguins haven't had really a healthy roster, so he has been called upon quite a bit. But how can anyone sit there and say that this guy hasn't exceeded, not just lived up to, exceeded expectations uh, with the way that he's played? No, he's been great. And I I think that we were probably looking at him before the season saying, like, he's probably one of the first forwards out if everybody's healthy on this team. But he's been a great fourth line center. And it's it's funny because before the season, I was like, I don't really know how Brian Boyle is going to mesh with the team, seeing as he's not really the prototypical penguin forward. And he's not like speedy like the rest of the forwards and like doesn't really have yeah. that drive of the game. But that fourth line, especially this past week, has been like really driving their game and, and <laughs> the and island of misfit re- toys really well. Yeah, and Brian Boyle on Sunday against uh, the New Jersey Devils, he had two points himself, so goal and an assist. I, I just think that he, he's been a great addition for the team. Um, another guy that was able to get out of a little bit of a slump this week was Jeff Carter, I think. He got a goal on what Thursday night against, who was that, Senators? <laughs> so I yeah. had to look at who we played. Scored the but, only goal yeah. with a goalie in net. It, it, was, it was nice to see other people score besides the top line. I mean, we did get a lot of the top line scoring either way. I mean, Gensel had two goals this week. Brian Russ scored in every single game because, of course, he did. Um, But to get a couple guys throughout the lineup that was scoring that weren't either on the top power play unit or on the top line with Sid, Jake, and Gensel, or (laughs) Jake and Gensel, Sid, Jake, and Rust, it it was good to see this week. And the fact that we won all three games in regulation and didn't really have to sweat any of these out and worry about getting that extra point 
that was also nice to see because the Penguins are now sitting in first place in the Metropolitan yeah. Division again. Yeah, whether that's temporary or not, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, it's crazy with everything that this team's undergone. I mean, every week we can just keep coming back to the job that Mike Sullivan has done with this team. Um, and again, I, I'll say it. A player that exemplifies that more than anybody else is what we've seen from Mike Matheson this year, uh, who I think is playing the best hockey, not just in his time in Pittsburgh, in his career. That goes back to Florida when he was handed the extension that he's currently playing on. I, I've I've never seen a player really like turn it around like this, but it's no surprise that it's happening in Pittsburgh, in my opinion, just because it's a testament to how good of a head coach Mike Sullivan is. Perfect deployment, perfect partner in Chad Ruedel to play with. I, there's not much more I can say about Mike Matheson. We knew how much of a how good of a skater he was. We knew the upside that he has in the offensive zone, but he's just he's not making those mistakes in his own end right now either, and that's why they're getting the most out of him. Yeah, and I got to say, we have to take a little bit of credit for saying that he should be with do Chad we? Ruedel. Because, <laughs> okay. We do, because, because we've always been firm believers in Chad Ruedel, and we yeah. knew that he would be the right partner for Mike Matheson to let him be the offensive player that he likes to be. Chad Ruedel can be the steady defenseman that we always always have known that he is. And so, yeah, I think it, it, we had to take a little bit of credit for that. But yeah, Mike Matheson has had a great year, um, and... He scored what another goal and an assist on Sunday, um, and he's just adding on to it. I, I really think that. Also, I don't. I haven't really paid attention enough. Have the Penguins made the switch to put Matheson on the second power play unit yet instead of Marino, or is it still Marino on there? Because if it is, I have no idea why Matheson isn't on there. That's a, that's actually a great question because the second power play didn't see a ton of time. Uh, in this game, just because one of the Penguins power plays was right at the end of the first period. So it kind of like they just kept that first unit out there because they knew they were about to get a break anyway with the intermission coming up. The second power play was out there. I want to say it was still Marino. Um, yeah, because I'm, but, I'm yeah, looking I at daily face off and it, it's Marino still on there. And I personally listen, I, I like John Marino. I just don't think he's had that that stellar of a year And the way Mike Matheson is going. How do you not put him on the second power play unit over Marino? Yeah, so every John Marino, like people, it's it's been actually a pretty hot topic. I'm glad that you brought his name up, just because there's so many people talking about him right now on social media. Um, I think like with him, we've seen his defensive game kind of go to the next level. Like him and Pedersen are a really good duo. We've seen him step into a role in the penalty kill to take some of that away from Chris Letang. But from an offensive standpoint, he really has. We haven't seen like what we saw his rookie year in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. since his rookie year. And, you know, I think that we're just kind of still waiting for that to, to really like crown him as the heir to the throne for Chris Letang here in Pittsburgh. Um, but you're right. Like with, with, with that, with that not happening, why shouldn't it be Mike Matheson, a guy that we know can drive play um, and, and be that point man uh, on the power play. So I, Will they do it? I, I don't know, because I think that there's probably still part of Sullivan that knows the danger in doing that, especially if you're only going to go with one defenseman out there. Um, but maybe they do something like putting both out there. I don't know. It, but letting, you know, Matheson kind of be I mean, the, the honestly, guy you might puck. as well, because I'm looking I'm looking at the second power play unit and you've got Jeff Carter, Evan Rodriguez, Danton Heinen, Casper Kapanen and John Marino. Yeah, get honestly, Kasperi take Kapanen out of there. he's he's just useless at this point when especially on the power play so i would not mind just having the second defenseman and in that case you would have a right and a left-handed defenseman up there so that would be a safe bet i I, but Mm -hmm. yeah captain has just basically been useless to the team for the past few weeks i mean honestly most of the season 
it, it's it's really sad to see. So again, take him off. <laughs> well, what's it's the thing is too it's like what's really redeeming about his game right now because other guys that don't score you know like the zach aston reese dominic simones of the world like they are really good in their own end in their kind of like the analytical darlings. darlings yeah yeah of the team and you can't have like too many of those guys you know that's why i always say like when the penguins do get healthy you got to pick between one of those two in my opinion it's going to be zach aston reese um but with a guy like kasperi kapanen if he's not you know contributing offensively what's he bringing to this team and i don't know like we're getting to the point where now his name's being thrown around in trade rumors and such i don't know what his value is but i have a hard time believing that when healthy i can look at him as one of their 12 best forwards i'm assuming he's still going to stay in the lineup but yeah I, i he's been disappointing to say the least this is a guy that i picked to lead the team in goals by the way we can keep going back to that because I look like an idiot more and more each game. But <laughs> yeah, I I got to be honest. Whenever I think about who should come out of the lineup if this team's fully healthy, I can't really think of a reason that like I would rather have like a guy like Redeem Zahorna in the lineup than Casper Capita at this point. I think he adds more value to your team and adds more production to your team. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just what he I, brings, like, you look at the the underlying numbers. I know that uh, Danny actually put this out there recently. Zahorna, in games that he's played when his line is out there, the chances that he, his line creates as opposed to gives up, the discrepancy there is, like, the most on the team, just in the games that he's played, obviously, not, you know, looking at that number raw season long, but just in the games that he's played. It, it's, the possession metrics are great for him. So... Yeah, I mean, I'm with you in that I would be playing him, too. We, we know it's not going to happen. You know, really what we're hanging on to is just what we saw in spurts last year and the potential of him. But I have a hard time believing that this is a guy that's a restricted free agent at season's end, too, um, that right now he's one of the best 12 forwards. And I have a hard time believing that for a guy that didn't trade for him and Ron Hextall, he has interest in bringing him back with the way that he's played. Yeah, and realistically, what's going to happen, and we're still probably a few weeks away from this happening, but whenever Teddy Bluger comes back from injury, what are we going to do with Brian Boyle? Are we moving him to the wing on that fourth line, or or what's going to happen there? And then when Jason Zucker also comes back, honestly, like who who would you rather have in the lineup, Jason Zucker or Kasperi Kapanen? I I don't really (laughs) know how to answer that question because of how bad both of these guys – Like I just don't think that – they are in their their best twelve forwards that, to put on the ice, at least the way they're well, playing yeah. right now. And so I I, th- I think that it, whenever both those guys come back, it makes it even harder because you don't want to take like Boyle out of the lineup because of the way that he's been playing on that fourth line. But how are you going to take like Casper Kapanen out of the lineup? Because and I feel like it's not even b- based off of his play; it's just based off of the name and what the Penguins gave up for him and what kind of player he could be, but he's not being right now. Yeah. Uh, see, the thing for me with those two names specifically, Zucker and Kapanen, I think when Zucker's been he- been available, he's been the better of the two. But the problem is, it, you know, at least, you know, Kasperi Kapanen's going to be available. Uh, Jason Zucker just has not been able to get healthy for this team. Um, and, you know, is he going to down the stretch? I don't know. I'm not really relying on him right now. And, you know, as, as bad as that sounds, whenever he comes back, we can start having that conversation. But I'm not even looking at him as one of the guys I'm talking about. You mentioned, you know, when Teddy Bluter comes back. That's really, to me, like the domino that has to fall here is because now you have five, six centers, really, if you want to include Evan Rodriguez in that. But we know that he, he'll play wing. Um, 
So yeah, the, the, the question becomes, is it Carter that plays wing like on Malkin's wing? And then you still have Boyle playing center. To me, that's honestly the way that I lean as opposed to having Boyle play wing. I, I would play down the middle, Sid, Gino, Bluter, Boyle with Carter playing on uh, Gino's wing. So do you take Kapitan off of his wing or you take Brock McGinn? These lines Kapitan's going to take himself off that wing because, I mean, we've seen how many games that he started with Gino. Mike Sullivan's going to take him off the wing because he's going to start on that wing, but by halfway through the first period, he'll be on the fourth line. Um, And I think that Carter's a nice safety net for Gino because if, you know, Gino's not the best face-off guy in the world anyways, but, you know, even with, with him being eased back in, we saw that's why he started with Carter on his wing. I think that they could go back to that well, and it, it lets Gino, you know, cheat on face-offs, to be quite honest with you, every now and then, and just know, hey, if I get kicked out of the face-off draw, we got another center to turn to and Carter to take it. So I think it takes some of that burden away as well. Maybe they put Danson Heinen up on Malka's wing with, with Carter, and they test that out and see how that goes. And then but you put McGinn back with uh, Bluger. And Zach Aston Reese, and then you throw Boyle and Kapanen and then Simone, I guess, all in the same line. Yeah, or Zahorna, or man, that's going to be. We talked about Island of Misfit Toys. That would definitely uh, fall into that category if that's how things shake out. But who knows? We're just spitballing here. Who knows how things are going to shake out? I mean, we keep talking about when they're healthy. When has that ever been the case? Uh, You know, we just keep going. Honestly, never. I just, it's just a good thing to see. Despite all the player issues that we have with the Penguins and how people are performing, they won three out of three games this week, all in regular. They have more guys. They have more guys that are doing like what Brian Boyle and Mike Mathis are doing than what Kapanen are doing. You know, it's just we're bringing up one thing here about this team, but obviously they're in first place. You have a ton of guys that are playing at the level they should be or have overachieved when you look at the season long, not like just recent streets like the slump that Evan Rodriguez has been in. Um, but there's a reason they're in the spot that they are. And, uh, yeah, definitely very encouraged by overall what this team's done. Even Casey Smith as of late. He just got a shutout in his last game. And, you know, maybe yeah. he is a viable backup option for this team. I, my, my worst fear is that he plays well until after the trade deadline and then falls apart. But, um, yeah, as of right Hopefully now, he's, he's definitely healthy after that. Yeah, that's that's very true, too. He just needs to kind of, you know, weather the storm, if you will, and play uh, that role to perfection until we get Louis Domingue back. And then at least gives us another option to turn to potentially. So that's so unfortunate for him, though, because it looked like he actually like was going to have a shot, might have gotten one of those back to back games. and Then he gets hurt, you know, in practice and can't take the net. So uh, I think Taylor him, cursed him on, on podcast on Fifth Ave. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. You, if you want, you just send all hate to to them right there. They 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 yeah. are the ones that injured Louis Domingue. <laughs> uh yeah. Just don't do it to anybody else. But um, I don't think I have anything else unless you do. Uh, yeah. One little okay. minor thing with the Penguins this week. Uh, the whole Brad Marchand incident. Oh, and true. how do we how do we not touch on this? Yeah. Do. First off, do we think that the six games was enough for what he was doing? So based off NHL history, yes. But that's like a whole different discussion. That's why I have a problem with it because it always just comes back to like, oh, that's the way it is. Or, you know, that's been the sport. That's the way the league is. Like, why? Like, why, why is that the answer to this? Why should it be that way? Just because it has been that way. 
and yeah. you know just an unwillingness to change the hockey culture if you will and the answer just there's more people that take issue with the fact that the penguins didn't come to his defense than the act itself and yeah. to be quite honest with you though like in real time it, it's kind of tough to see and even like going back and watching it's not like he made much of an effort but chris letang did try to go after brad marchand no, chris, when chris that did try and, and he then, was held back yeah, yeah. And then people trying to blame Sid. If you look at it, Sid didn't even see what had happened. He just saw people scuffling like after the mm-hmm. play. His back was turned to it. Um, I think my most alarming thing about the whole situation is just how screwed up the hockey mentality is when it comes to s- stuff like that that happens on the ice because of the not just the way that Marchand feels about it where he thinks that, yeah, I shouldn't have done it, but I think that this is like way too like getting the six game suspension is way too much for it. Yeah. Like if it was anybody else. Well, the thing that bothers me even more and how this just shows how hockey mentally is a game is just so screwed up and how far gone it is, is that post game Tristan Jari is saying Mm -hmm. it's not really that big of a deal and saying like, listen, a lot of guys like they get heated and it's in, it's in the moment stuff. It's on the ice after, after the ice, it doesn't matter. I'm like, how screwed up is it that Tristan Jari has to, or not even has to, he might actually believe what he's saying and think that, okay, it's really not that big of a deal. Whatever. I think it's a huge deal. Like for someone to basically attack the goalie like that, he, he tried to punch him, tried to get a stick in his face multiple times. And for Tristan Jari to not really see a problem with that being the reciprocant of all that stuff that's happening to him. I just think that it shows how screwed up the hockey culture and hockey mentality to some of this stuff is and why some of these like to the players, it's not a big deal when it should be. Yeah, they're trained to think that way (laughs) based off league precedent and just the way that the, the culture of hockey has been. So, you know, that's the traditional way. It's part of the game, if you will. So yeah, it's the worst. You're supposed to live with it. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Six game suspension for Brad Marchand. I believe that he's now been what I think he broke the record now for most individual suspensions. Not necessarily longest yeah. times spent suspended, but he's been suspended like eight different times, something like that. Mm-hmm. So hey, congrats, pal, making history out here against the Penguins. <laughs> Maybe Sidney um, Crosby will make history this week and get his 500th goal. We've been waiting on it. Does it happen? And I, Does it happen? I, I, I'm hoping that it happens Tuesday against Philly at home okay. because I mean, how yep. how great would that be? Maybe, I, he but was it's waiting. so funny. Anytime he's on the ice this past week, especially during that Boston game, I think he had that, that empty net goal. He passed it whenever he definitely could have shot it. But there's no way that Sidney Crosby is going to let his 500th goal in the NHL be an empty net goal. He wants to earn it and get it the right way. So I'm hoping that it comes Tuesday night against the Philadelphia Flyers because how poetic would that be? Yeah, what the top line scored like three empty net goals this week and none of them were said. So, yeah, unreal. Yep, he's definitely going to keep passing. But the fire they play the Flyers on Tuesday, the Maple Leafs on Thursday, and then we have the Hurricanes. Big matchup in that one on Sunday. There's been a lot of Sunday games for the Penguins this mm-hmm. the, like the past month. I feel like. Yeah. Well, by the time everybody's listening to this, the NFL season will be over. So now we can start to dive into really the offseason discussions surrounding the NFL. There is some big news, not necessarily with the Steelers, but around the league right now. Many of them affect the Steelers. We'll talk about that more next week. But other than that, for Tyler, 
for Smitty. This is Around the 412 on the DJ Pittsburgh Sports Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the channel. Come back here every Tuesday. Or I'm sorry, every Monday. Well, Tuesday, too, for Yinzers. Every Monday at 2 p.m. Every day at 2 p.m. There is a new show premiering live right here. Check out all the shows. Uh, other than that, like I said, Tyler for Smitty. This is Around the 412. We'll talk to you guys next week. Until then, bye-bye. Bye-bye.